0: You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you stories that remind us who God is and who we are in Him. The Collected Podcast is a production of Collected Ministries. Follow Collected on social media at Collected Podcast and be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and additional content related to today's episode. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 4 of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jess Biondo, and this week I'm bringing you a very special and very exciting Christmas episode. Um, This will be our last episode before... Christmas actually arrives. Um, So we're gonna be talking all things Christmas and giving you a few recipes and inspirational tips for the holidays and focusing in also on the true reason for the season. And to ring in this episode, I couldn't think of anybody better than my dear friend Katie Newberg and she has been on the show before back in season three episode 26 so that was back in October 2021 and since then she has been on a wild terrifying miraculous (laughs) journey in her life and so I wanted an update and um, she is just completely in love with Christmas as well. So I thought she'd be the perfect person. So Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes. I'm so excited to have you back. And um, I will link to your first episode, which by the way, is our top episode of all time. Oh, oh my goodness.
1: Wow. Most
0: listens oh, of my all goodness. time. Um, oh, I, people... I didn't say
1: anything embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, definitely not. Um, But people love you, and people were so captivated and touched by all that you've gone through in your life, and yet the faith that you have that has carried you through it all in the way that the Lord has provided for you. So I will link to that episode, but for people who haven't listened yet, um, I was wondering if you could start with just a little recap of who you are and um, just kind of the highlights of your story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So actually it, I, I'm i probably uh, sending it to most people as why it's <laughs> so downloaded <laughs> because actually it's been really kind of a helpful little handy way to explain to people kind of my backstory. Um, and as you mentioned, a lot has happened in the last two years and there kind of was a large number of people praying for me and carrying our family through that season. And my sisters who were keeping people up to date as things were happening, kept sending that being like, if you don't know what's happening, this is the this is the precursor. This is the full story. <laughs> like that actually was pretty convenient timing. That right as things started to fall apart, we had just released that episode. So uh, we had a little backstory summarized. Um, I will try and do a shorter version of that, um, because obviously more has happened since, which I'm sure we'll get into. But um, I am 27 years old. Why I don't know I had to think about that. 27. I live in Greater Rapids, Michigan. I'm the youngest of four girls. We're a very close-knit uh, family, which is how we know Jess. Um, good family friends. And we all live here with all our kids. I, my husband's whole side is here. We've got 24 nieces and nephews. Everything's a party all the time. <laughs> We're close with all of them. <laughs> yes. um, so that honestly feels like the biggest part of my life. Um, I'm married. I have a two-year-old daughter um, who I had shortly after we recorded that episode. Um, and then, kind of the the even further backstory with that is that I have a pretty severe chronic illness that I was born with. And um, the gist of it is that I don't absorb what I eat orally. So um, from birth, I struggled to gain weight, struggled to grow, and had a really large volume of vomiting anytime I ate anything. And and immediately sent up the red flags of something's wrong. You know, what's what's happening? It took six years for us to actually get a diagnosis of what was happening. But that entire time I was extremely malnourished at 18 months old. They put in a permanent um, IV, essentially a uh, central line feeding tube so that I could get all of my nutrition directly to my bloodstream. While we, the thought was, while we figure out what's going on, while we figure out what's wrong. Um, what we settled on is called holovisceromyopathy or a uh, pseudo obstruction, malabsorption, lots of technical words summarized as a motility disorder um, that the muscles and, and nerves and intestines do not contract, do not absorb. It's essentially kind of like a paralyzed digestive system. Um, so anything that goes in just moves through, but does not get absorbed and provide me with nutrient nutrients and um, nutritional content. So all of my nutrients come through that feeding tube. Um, And then with that, there's just a lot of ramifications. So I describe it as like living with the perpetual stomach flu. Um, I would say in the last five, 10 years, that's gotten a lot, probably last 10 years, that's gotten a lot better. My GI symptoms are more mild, but I would still say, you know, Not your average, not your average symptoms day to day, more so on par with someone with a stomach flu than someone without. And and then because of the feeding tube and just the risks that puts you at, I'm at high risk for infection. I have pretty frequent surgeries to swap that tube out as it gets infected, high risk for sepsis, when it gets infected, things like that. Um, By God's grace, I've been nine years without an infection, which is truly Insane considering from you know 18 months old until I was 18, 19, I was having an infection every six months to a year. And then that would involve hospital stay, multiple surgeries, sepsis if we got to that point, um, lots of complications, to now a point where I've I've been a long time of being really stable, which is incredible and such a gift. Um, the wild card thrown into that is Um, When I was 12, I aspirated during a surgery, which resulted in four weeks on a ventilator um, and a lot of lung damage. And then some of my story in the last two years has involved two more stints on a ventilator, one around the birth of my daughter and one this past July. Um, So now I got some I got a testy set of lungs on me (laughs) are pretty reactive to anything. Um, So that's kind of been an added element where. A lot of my medical condition might not seem linear, where it's all connected, and you go, "Oh, the GI tract should not affect lungs and liver and and all of these other things," but it does, just because um, my baseline is off. I'm IV fed. I'm you know not I'm not at a base healthy stance. So then that does affect all of the major organs and all of the you know everything that can't go wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, I'm really thankful to say that inside of that, I live a really full life. I wouldn't, you might hear those things and picture someone bedridden and unable to function, but that's actually not the case. I have been a wedding photographer for 10 years, run my own business, I have a blog, I have a daughter, by God's grace, and I, keep our home and I cook and I ba- and I, you know, I lead a Bible study and I'm out in the world <laughs> doing things. Um, and that waxes and wanes. It depends on the season. There are seasons where, you know, I am in bed or on the couch for weeks or months at a time. And there are seasons where I do need a lot more help um from my family and my spouse and um and my community. And then there are seasons where sometimes it's you can forget from the outside looking in that there's anything actually even going on. So it's all a dance that shifts month to month, but um, I would say the main theme has been that the Lord has been incredibly gracious and patient and faithful to me through all of it, and I have had something that is a rare opportunity of seeing miracle after miracle—not mm-hmm. um, your daily miracles, the type where your doctors and your community and your and your people are all left with their jaw on the floor, thinking. We don't actually understand how this happened. And I'm thinking, I don't really know either. <laughs> Except just by the Lord. And that that really does set a different trajectory for your life once you've experienced something like that, let alone when a lot of your life has been instance after instance of his miraculous power. Yeah.
0: Wow. I mean, I I know all of that about <laughs> you. Yet hearing it again every time, it just gives me the chills because you threw it all. Your faith in the Lord has just grown and grown. And, you know, walking through such hardship and constant struggle could easily lead someone to a place of anger at God or bitterness or just completely turning their back on Him, of like, Lord, why me? Why did you let this happen to me? Yeah. Have there been times when you've wrestled through those questions? For
1: sure for sure. Um I would say after the birth of my daughter actually I which I we can talk a little bit more about what happened there but um I had really never had that feeling. Mm-hmm. I I can honestly say because now I have had it <laughs> that I can say before what I experienced I can only attribute to God's grace and protection over I'll I'll say up front, there's a lot about this season of life that I still don't understand and haven't made sense of. And I don't know that I actually ever will this side of heaven. Mm. I think there will always be questions as to a season I went through of questioning and doubt and anger and despondence that I don't know that I'll ever get. I've, I've come to another side of it that I'm really thankful for, but that's kind of my precursors. Anything that I say is still a working theory <laughs> about maybe what happened. Mm. But I would say before that, um, I don't know that I was at a place where the Lord could have carried me through a season of doubt Mm. and made it to the other side. And I think that things were so bad for so much of my life that I don't know if God just never allowed me to question His presence. Yeah. Because it it probably would have crushed me. Mm. And I'm really, and I was young. I mean, Mm -hmm. my worst years were like, birth to 17, you know, really bad years were like middle school years. So really pivotal, um, developmental years. And I think I'm so thankful that God just graciously coded me in his presence from as long, for as long as I can remember, honestly. And I never really doubted that he was there, even though things were really bad. Um, I think too, uh, Sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought. Where were we? <laughs> That's okay. Pregnant again? Yeah. I remember before the last interview thinking and saying, my husband, Dan, I don't know how I'm going to do this because I have such bad pregnancy brain. I'm going to like forget what I'm saying half of this interview. And here we are two years later. I'm pregnant again. And, <laughs> yes. Congratulations, period. by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you. I did remember where I was Where I was headed with that was that um, I think sometimes when we are able to stand on our own, we have even more temptation to do so. Mm. Whereas, when you are flat, like left on your back, basically, and unable to get yourself up, you're really faced with the reality that all of us have—that we cannot help ourselves, we cannot save ourselves, we cannot support or control or endure any of those things a- apart from God. Yeah. Um, we are all dependent on Him for every breath in our lungs. But when you don't have the option to take that breath on your own, is really clear. Mm. when I actually am in a good place where I'm feeling good and I'm healthy and things are going well, it's way easier for me to just forget and wonder. I mean, literally the Israelites, the The more stable they get, the more they drift, the more they drift. Whereas when they're like standing with them in a sea in front of them and the army behind them, who are they going to look to? It's, yeah. They can't fix it. So I think I lived so much of my life in a state of I legitimately do not have what I need to get through a single day. Very, very much at my core. Um, You wake up every day being like, well, who does? Yeah. Who does have that. Um. So I think from an early age, that really bred a dependence on God in me. And I think that the Lord rewards those who diligently seek Him. I mean, His Word says that. So I think— um. He just continued to meet that need, and I continued to see it. And I also was raised by people, my parents and my siblings, who continued to say, do you see how God is providing? Mm -hmm. Do you see giving me a frame of reference, even as a child, to have eyes to see how He was providing? Um, So that was very much our family culture in in the struggles. And now as an adult, I'm like, I don't know how my mom was doing that. (laughs) I think it's harder now than it was as a child.
0: Well, um, and
1: watching your child
0: suffer when yes. you can't do anything. Yeah. I, mean, I don't have kids yet, but I can't yeah. Yeah. imagine that.
1: I My daughter had a cold the other day, and I was on the phone with my mom. And I was like, it's just like so awful watching your child be sick. And then I was like, I know you don't like know anything about that, right? <laughs> I think about her all the time. My mom has always been my hero, both my parents. But then now to be a mother, it is an entirely different ballgame that I'm like, wow, I do not know how they did it. And and all the more, praise be to God, that it gives me even more faith that he can supply all of my needs. Yeah. Because if he carried my parents through watching a child, I think that could have actually been worse than being the one in the shoes myself. Mm. I can't imagine. Um, I mean I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. Um anyways you asked about seasons of questioning. Yeah, I hit a pretty aggressive rock bottom, I would say, after the birth of my daughter. Um Yeah, should we get into Yeah, let's just get into the the past 2 years. It happened like what 3 weeks after that podcast.
0: Right came after out. I aired this podcast, yeah, your it was, life. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Limited. Uh, plummeted. Plummeted. Yeah. Uh, like I didn't God. want to say it. Right. No, no, no. You can I can I can joke about it. You're good. You're good. Okay. We always say the um, in fact, I referenced it this morning to my mom, the line from uh Princess Bride, where he's like, He's only mostly dead. <laughs> Which is terrible. Don't mind my dark sense of humor about this is how I cope with everything. I was only mostly dead. uh so yeah. shortly after recording that podcast, I was I don't remember how many weeks pregnant at that point with my my daughter. Um, I got COVID-19. I had um, the Delta variant. We are pretty confident that that was the strain that I had at the time. And there was, you know, my pre-existing condition going on. And we don't really know what role that played. I can't imagine that it didn't play some role. um, Just because I had already been on a ventilator once, I already had lung damage. Um, And we knew that I was a little bit you know i'm i'm a wild card <laughs> if i get anything it turns into something else um but what was unique about the delta strain is there was this odd combination of when you would get it in your third trimester of pregnancy um so what happened to me was not a story unique to me it was happening worldwide um happening in our hospital with other patients in the rehab hospital i ended up in with other patients and then um, after the fact, I ended up messaging with about 40 different women on Instagram who had all had a really similar, if not the same story, which was crazy, truly crazy and gut wrenching. Um, but also did kind of give me a little bit of peace of like, okay, in this one, it's not just me. <laughs> like I'm not the only one that has this crazy outcome from this, um, obviously other terrible outcomes from COVID too. I'm I'm not saying this was just to the pregnancy combination thing, but essentially what happened is I had COVID for about two weeks at home and just, you know, so did my family and we all were just sick and going through our day. And then kind of around day 14, it turned a really bad corner. Um, I remember my, I said to my husband, I'm like, I'm really struggling to breathe when I get up to go to the bathroom during the night. Like it's, I'll have these kind of almost felt like a panic attack where your lungs would just like get tight for a minute um but i couldn't really breathe through it and he said why don't i i had been sleeping on the couch cuz it was more comfortable for me to be upright he said i'll sleep out there with you tonight and just then i can be up if you need help during the night and i woke i we were up several times during the night i woke up in the morning to him on the phone with my ob and with an ambulance on the way and he had called and said i don't think she's breathing well enough mm-hmm. my sister <laughs> who we were all you know quarantined from each other cuz we all had covid she came over with a pulse ox. My my uh, oxygen level was below, I think it was like 85 at the point. And my OB said, you need to get an ambulance to your, to your house right now. Um, because you know the threshold for where your oxygen needs to be when you're pregnant is even higher than when you're not. Um, they took me to the hospital. And I remember I was 32 weeks. And I remember leaving in the ambulance thinking, I'm delivering this baby. I'm not coming back home. I just like knew this is it. And um, I had had kind of this weird premonition, my whole pregnancy that I would deliver early. We didn't have any reason to think I would, but I just, funny enough, it, I, I thought it was because I loved Christmas so much. And I was like, God's going to give me my baby before Christmas. <laughs> I wasn't due till January. Uh, I had my baby before Thanksgiving, <laughs> it was not, not what I had in mind. Um, but I remember leaving and thinking, yeah, this is it. Um, we got to the hospital I, I, I'm going to have to pick and choose what parts of the story I leave out because there's so many details that that what this turned into a six-week story. So I I probably shouldn't do an hour-by-hour hour update of what happened. Listeners, Hi. this episode is actually going to be seven <laughs> hours long. Our episode? Oh, tune back next week Um, <laughs> and for the following quarter of the year. So... Essentially, once we got to the hospital, we realized that I had preeclampsia and helps disease and my lungs were filled with fluid. They drained a liter and a half off of each lung before we even considered a C-section. And at that point, they said, you know, this will relieve so much pressure. Your oxygen will boost right back up. There's so much fluid coming out. We'll get, you know, with a chest tube, we'll get it all drained out and then you'll be able to breathe. And they drained all the fluid and my oxygen didn't go up a single point. And they were like, okay, so some bad stuff's going on here. Um, I remember a neonatal doctor coming in the room and me saying like, what are, if we have to deliver tonight, my OB by God's grace was the OB on call. So she was there. Um, and also by God's grace, a nurse who I had known my entire life, good friend of my sister got called in to work. And she said, I can't come in today. And they said, we're, we are literally tapped out. We have a like a patient in the ER that needs a nurse and, you know, we can't move her up and we think she needs to deliver. And my sister sent her a text and said, please be praying. Katie's in the hospital. They think they need to deliver. And she called oh. back and she said, is it Katie Newberg? And they said, yeah. And she said, I will come in if I can be her only. I only want her as my patient. I I want to oh. stay in her room the whole time. And she did. She came. She stayed literally like, I feel like she was like my guardian angel. She literally stayed in the room from that point until they moved me to the postpartum unit um oh, wow and was such a gift and was there praying over me as they drew my labs and explaining to my husband and I what was going on and obviously no one else could be up there cuz i was covid positive <laughs> and it was in the worst peak that our city had so the hospital was max capacity turning people away um and had really strict visitor policies for you know for good reason and like I said, I was positive. So no one in my family could be there. And things were happening so quickly that we couldn't even really call people, keep people updated. I remember a girlfriend of mine, I left for the hospital. All these people talking about what you pack in your hospital bag. I was in like an old t-shirt and Christmas jammy pants. And I called my girlfriend who lived close to the hospital at like 11.30 PM and was like, can you drop off a phone charger at the front <laughs> Because we're about to have this baby and all of our phones are about to be dead. Like, yeah, we just were thrown into it. Um, the neonatal doctor came in and I remember saying, if we deliver today, like, what are my baby's odds of like survival? Because I didn't even know, you don't think about having a preemie until you have a preemie. Yeah. And he said, oh, your baby will be fine. I was like, well, then what are we doing sitting around talking and get this baby out of me? (laughs) So we did an emergency C-section that night, um, right away. And she was taken to the NICU um, and I was taken to the ICU. We were separated right away. I got to like see her. They held her away from me, but see her for a minute. And then they separated us both. Dan went to the NICU with her. I went to the ICU. um, And then started actually even more of a downhill decline. So... I'll, I'll summarize Ginny's story because mine gets a little bit more complicated and um, I don't know how, but truly it was like, she was just completely protected from the day she was born. She was in the NICU for a total of, I can't remember if it was six or seven weeks. Um, but in that entire time, net every milestone, she was only on supported oxygen for like 24 hours. She had a feeding tube, but took those feeds right away really smoothly. She just truly excelled and was this perfect little angel. <laughs> just like we kept saying that she was like, you figure out all your drama, mom. I'm here when you're ready for me. Like, <laughs> I'm here safe. And I just think I can't imagine uh, Dan's shoes. If both his daughter and his wife were failing. Yeah. And so for him to know that she was okay and secure and me too, while everything was happening with me, know she is okay and there are not risks we're looking for and she's developing the way she should. We just, I continue to praise God for that. And now looking at her as a two-year-old, you would literally have no idea that she was born prematurely. She got chunky little cheeks and thighs, and she's funny as all get out and full of life and full of personality and Truly the most like joyful, magical little child. (laughs) She takes after her mama. I don't know know about that, but (laughs) she just honestly often brings me to tears that I'm like, I cannot believe your story could have been so different. And this is what what God has given us. Um, My name, Catherine Grace, means pure grace. And my mom says that the Lord, that was four girls. And she says, this is the only name that the Lord like impressed upon her while she was pregnant. And she named me that. And then from birth was like, I'm literally watching God's pure grace over her life. Um, and when we were pregnant with Ginny, I, re- I had always loved the name Ginny for Virginia. And I remember looking up what it meant and it means pure. And I immediately was like, her name is pure grace. That's it's what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, and to now... <laughs> like that's exactly what it's been and she's only 2 and for God to just continue building that legacy of his grace and goodness of her life i'm just so so thankful to watch it um as for myself i like i said was moved to the icu and spent about 6 days um just slowly declining or i mean rapidly declining honestly it felt long and slow um my breathing continued to worsen my my lungs kept refilling with fluid. Um, There was also a lot of inflammation and COVID is a scarring disease. So it builds up scar tissue in your lungs um, that was infected. The the lungs were infected. Um, You know, I've also now got a C-section scar and they're having me prone. So lay on my stomach because that was where my lungs could get the most oxygen. It's terribly (laughs) uncomfortable, as you can imagine. Um, And my breathing just, got worse and worse and worse until the point that um on about Thursday she was born on a Sunday on Thursday I felt confident that the next decision was going to be to be put on a ventilator um and on Saturday is when that happened i by the time i had that thought on Thursday i i distinctly remember thinking what a relief that would be i think mm-hmm. there's a lot of um misconceptions about ventilators, and life support and all of these things. And um, to put it really frankly, and I don't mean this to sound crass, but it is, it is a life-saving tool, can be a life-saving tool for those who are already dying. It is not a choice you make because you think the path is going to be easier or, oh, let's jump to this conclusion. It is, at least in my experience, felt like trying to breathe underwater. I literally yeah. couldn't. Breathe and every breath all day, every day for six days, I mean, for longer, but felt like that. And so the thought of being sedated felt like a re- I, I wanted it by yeah. the time we got to that point. And that's with knowing your outcome is your odds of a good outcome are low. I have a daughter who I've never touched oh. and won't be able to touch until I'm on the other side of this. I have past experience with a ventilator which was the worst experience of my life up to that point um when you are sedated you're on really heavy drugs which can cause really horrific nightmares because things are happening to your body while your mind is somewhere else and you're on drugs and you're getting addicted to those drugs so then you have withdrawal coming out of it and hallucinations and more nightmares and PTSD and and physical pain because your body's fighting a disease and an infection and my you know my heart rate was crazy high and my blood pressure was high enough that I kept coming really close to coding and stroking out. And so there's there's physical things happening while you're in the coma. It's not oh I'm just gonna take a little it's not like a surgery yeah. where you sleep and wake up peacefully two hours later. I knew what I was getting into. And yet I I do not know how to explain other than I will go to my grave knowing that the Lord is real and good and alive and active and present and not some idea because I knew on that Thursday and Friday that this was what my next step was and I had complete peace about it. Wow. I did feel confident that I was going to live through it. And that is a peace that God had given me. And I don't, I don't know why he gave it to me. And I was very also aware that that could not be the case. Mm. And so I don't want to say, I want to be very careful to, make the distinction that the peace I had was not, I'm confident I'm going to live through this. The peace I had was the presence of Christ. Yeah. And I felt a a presence that I've had tasted, had tastes of throughout my life, but never truly experienced where the room felt light. And I Mm. literally felt, it sounds so sick and twisted to say but I felt like a giddiness an ex almost a joy and an excitement that makes me wonder like what were Peter and Paul imprisoned feeling yeah that singing songs and and the prison was shaking you know these these moments that we read about uh, do not get me wrong I was terrified too but I had this settledness, that like all I could do was worship. And and Dan felt the same. We were experiencing his presence so tangibly it was a really uniting experience for us because for us to walk through that together and both feel such confidence that he had us, it it removes the fear of what the outcome will be because either outcome will be Christ. Yeah. So either he is with me on the other side of this, holding me then too. Or I get to be with him. Yeah. And to know so, to come so close to that and have more confidence that I've ever had that he is at the end is the greatest gift I've ever experienced. I would not wish it on anybody. (laughs) I don't want anyone to ever have to get to that point, right? Because it was awful. It was truly awful. And I don't ever want to like sugarcoat that. But I've also now experience something that you can't unfeel. Yeah. And as I've talked to other people who have gone through really horrific things of all sorts of nature, other people have had it too. It's not something special to me. It's it's something special to the Lord. Um, and we have access to Him. He gives His Spirit without measure. It is not something that you have to wait to be in this life or death scenario, to taste and see that he is good. He is with us in every moment of the day. And this was just an experience where I got to see that really clearly. So um, on Saturday morning, they came in and said, we're gonna give you like eight more hours. And then we think that that is where we're headed. And I they left the room and I turned to Dan, and I said, I don't, I don't think that we should wait. I think that's where we're headed. And I quite frankly, I didn't have any more fight left in me. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm tapped out here. Yeah. And why let's not just spend the next eight hours thinking about it. Let's get some relief. Um, and so we called them back in. Dean prayed over me, spent quite a while doing that. Um, we called them back in and said, like, I don't have it in me to keep doing this. And they said, "We're really glad you said that because we didn't really feel great about eight hours either, but we didn't really (laughs) want to push you. We weren't, you know, we're going to give you every last second that you can." Um, and they moved me up. They sedated me. Um, and then, like I knew would happen, I had two weeks of horror to my body that I was mentally not present for, but was physically present for. And so my experience of it was nightmares and um, hallucinations and really horrific dreams. Um, and then coming out of that was the same. Uh, so that is a whole other story and side to it. Um, but I would say it's not like what you see on TV folks of <laughs> people <laughs> yeah. from comas. It's really, it's a really brutal process. Um, and the weaning off of those drugs to then be able to wake up and to come off the vent and to breathe on your own is a really gruesome process. Um, but by God's grace, I was able to get to that point. Um I was on the vent for a little over two weeks. And in that time, went really drastic back and forth swings of days were good or days were really bad. Um, meanwhile, Jenny's just chilling in the NICU. She's doing great. I mean, she was still a preemie, so there were still things, but she did really well. And my amazing husband was the only person allowed to see either of us. So he was at the hospital from sun up to sundown, he wasn't able to sleep there, but he could be there as soon as. You know, he woke up in the morning and went to bed and he was going back and forth between the two of us as he was able. A lot of the time he couldn't really leave my room because things were happening so quickly. Um, but then he would, you know, go see Jenny and he'd FaceTime our family and he'd take pictures and try different bows on her. And then he'd come back to me um, and he'd print, he, my family printed off pictures that he had sent her. So those were, or that he, he had sent them. So those were hanging in my room when I woke up. Um and they had put pictures of my family up there and up in her room and it was it was all very sweet and just doing what we could or what they could to bring comfort in there um and i watched my husband become a total hero of the faith to me um and i i truly like he was holding my hand at the point that they started the sedation and he was holding my hand when i woke up like a crazy person yelling and belligerent and <laughs> on drug withdrawal. And he kept holding my hand while I stayed a psycho for the next few days. Um, and again, not like uh, what you see on TV, not as no. romantic as like maybe a One Tree Hill episode or something. Yeah. Um. But he just was so faithful. And i it's crazy. I have memories of kind of flashing between like nightmares and hallucinations interwoven with him reading Psalms to me and reading the book gentle and lowly to me and reading and playing Shane and Shane. Um, and so it's, it's real, those are very tender things to me to remember just that he kept, he kept petitioning on behalf of me. And at that point, it felt like I had lost some elements of the peace that I had leading into it. I'd lost, I think all of the elements of peace. (laughs) And I don't know what if that was, um, medication and what of it was spiritual attack and what of it was coping with a really horrific scenario. Um, but God then he handed that baton to Dan to carry the charge on the faith element and just keep pointing me to Jesus, keep pointing me to Jesus and saying out loud over me day after day, the ways he had seen God over the prior 14 days or, or however many days it was. Um, and he was leading us to worship even if I was not there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, another element of being in a coma is that you have total muscle atrophy, depending on how long. So with the duration that I was in, all of your muscles completely atrophy. So so you have to relearn everything. You have to re-strengthen and rehabilitate your body to be able to move so from the first few days, you wake up. You can't move your head. Can't lift up your hand. You can't, you know, scratch the itch on your nose, or wipe your own mouth, or brush your hair back. There's, there's nothing, um, and you truly feel like a, a prison of your own body because you're awake but you can't move, and that's a really terrifying feeling to wake up to. I had done it before, so I also knew. In some ways, that brings you peace, and in some ways, it doesn't, because you also know what's coming. Um, but I'm really thankful this was a, a little bit better of a journey than the, the previous one. Um, they, I ended up getting moved to a rehabilitation hospital where they did really extreme physical therapy for several hours a day, um, occupational and physical therapy to get my hands moving, get my head moving, and me. Eventually, I was able to walk as I left, which was truly insane. I had a walker, but I'll take it. I'll count it. <laughs> was vertical. And that was not easy to get to that point. Um, and all of that, again, just you're faced with, I truly am not capable of anything on my own. And that was where I had the most doubt and anger and frustration and palm towards God, pushing him away that I've ever had. And so it's funny that I've had these experiences where I'm at the end of myself and i am it's blatantly clear to me, I need God. And then I'm at the end of myself and I'm like, forget this. You haven't done anything for me, which is not true. He has now sustained my life a million in one time. Yeah. And sustained the life of my daughter and brought me out of a coma that my odds were not good in and redeemed my lungs, though they were very bad. And allowed me to, to, to wake up. And yet, I just had a, a deep anger. And it, it felt like a joke. I felt like, I've done this before. And now you're going to make me learn to walk again. Which is a really painful, like physically painful process. And, um, and what I kept coming back to. And what carried me a lot of the way through that season. Um was that I knew what I had experienced right before I had been sedated. I knew I had experienced a level of peace and a level of joy that I spent the next eight months. I mean, honestly, I spent the next 18 months trying to get back. And in that time, I was never able to do it. Mm-hmm and i was i got to the point where i was home with my baby and i'm gardening and i'm cooking and i'm baking and i'm doing all the things i love and i'm with my family and i'm working out again and and i'm trying constantly to get back to this joy this sense of peace this like no i ha- i had a vitality about me even before i had this ventilator experience like i always just had a baseline joy where did it go yeah and i couldn't i couldn't muster it up And that taught me more than anything else I had ever experienced that that comes from God. And that is not a feeling that we can create on our own. And I can search to the ends of the earth and I can do all of the things that normally put me in a good mood and normally make me happy and get me back to feeling like myself. And they are all worthless once you've experienced the joy of Jesus. All of those things shine in comparison. And none of it is worth anything to you anymore because all you want is the joy of Jesus again. Yeah. And I remember um, I, I, I have a mentor, girlfriend of mine named Kelly, who's been such a blessing and very honest with her in, in this whole season of where I was at. And I kept saying to her, she asked me one day, what is the most heartbreaking part about it? And I said that I miss him. Is quite, is quite frankly where I felt the most gutted. And it took me a minute to, to get to that answer and to realize that that is where I was feeling the most crushed. And I know, and I know theologically, he never left me. And I know from looking back that he never left me and he wasn't ever gone. Um, But I do think he allowed me to experience feeling like I was alone because... I realized how much I really needed him. Yeah. So, so sure. <laughs> much. <laughs> I need him so much. Um, and I thought that I knew that before, but I realized really in the most deprived state I've been in that nothing, nothing good touches God. Um, and I, I said to her that I missed him. And she asked me what I missed about him. And I started crying, which, you know, I cried a lot. So I don't really know that that's really (laughs) good. There was a lot of crying. And she said, and I said, his friendship. The more and more she pushed me and the more I thought about it and tried to unravel what felt gone was a friend and a companion and a lover of my soul and a place of solace and comfort and rest and a place that I could always turn that is so much deeper than any relationship we have on earth. And that held, I held to that through the next, you know, however long until I did start getting that back. Yeah. Um and that's where I, there's a lot of different parts to that piece of my story. And again, that's where some of it I don't know that I'll ever understand, and some of it's just too long to get into on the podcast. <laughs> if you come over for coffee, we can talk <laughs> Um, but I knew, I don't know that that's what carried me is that I knew I couldn't muster it myself. And so he had to be real because this was not something I could explain away and it was not something I could get myself to feel and that peace and contentment and joy in the midst of truly the most brutal experience of my life, I couldn't make it up. Yeah. And the people around me had seen it. Dan yeah. had seen it. The nurses at the hospital had seen it and commented on it and said they had never seen people as peaceful about their outcome as Dan and I. And so I knew this is not in my head because goodness knew I wanted it to be in my head so I could get it back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, anyways, there's a lot more you know, beautiful things that the Lord wove through that season of just, drought in my life and i'm so thankful that it's done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more on the side of learning lessons from it now. Um but absolutely now i can say like i have been brought high and i have been brought low. Mm-hmm. And i thought that the just the physical element had been true of my story but to also say like emotionally and spiritually i i think of Christ on the cross saying my god my god why have you forsaken me and yet he endured and stayed and it was for the blessing and fulfillment of the needs of the nations yeah you know and That's so it's why it just, he came it's why he came right right yeah so that he could live the worst of it and and then to think my suffering can feel so bad and it pales in comparison to what Christ feels um I referenced that book, Gentle and Lowly. I had read it right before our last podcast. So I've thought of this often since. And before they sedated me, Dan and I went through, like he was like, okay, what's a TV show I can watch while well, you're sedated? What's a movie I can watch? Well, and we went through a couple things. And he said, what's a book? And I said, you should read Gentle and Lowly. And I think he was hoping I would be like, here's a funny novel that'll distract you. <laughs> Not like, here's the most gutting book you'll read in Christian life. Um. And again, that's, I woke up to him reading it over me. And he and I reference it often. That book paints such a beautiful picture of how heartbroken Christ is for your suffering. And it's true, he is. And that's why he suffered is so that our suffering would have the right resolution to it. Not to take it away or eliminate it or mean we won't have suffering on this earth, but to say the work is finished and you, this suffering will not have you forever. Mm. This is temporary. And, and yeah. you also get the gift of my presence in the meantime while you endure. And I can tell you, I do not know how anyone endures without it because yeah. it'll suffocate you, it'll take you out. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, then July happened. And I ended up thought of that again. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing at that. This. <laughs> this is just How ideal. I, deal. Um, I uh, aspirated. During another surgery, I had a GI tear early in this pregnancy, um, which I'm prone to already. That's kind of part of the deal. Again, one of the many complications is that I do get GI tears. Um, They did a scope to, it wasn't a full surgery, it was just a scope to seal it. And I aspirated coming out of that surgery and ended up on a ventilator again, because now, you know, my lungs have damage on damage. Um, Praise the Lord, it was only about 48 hours. And this time I had told a number of people from the last coma how bad the like nightmares and hallucination piece is. Um, And I truly believe there was like an army of people praying that that would not be the case. And I don't know how. I did not have a single nightmare while I was sedated. I did not have a single hallucination coming out of it. And actually what they did was the first 24 hours I was sedated and the second 24 hours I was awake. I was pretty lucid um, on a ventilator. Which is, you know, a little uh <laughs> uncomfortable, a little disarming, a little alarming. You're kind of taken aback. Um, I remember them waking me up and telling me that and me thinking, that's literally impossible. There's no way I'm on a ventilator. And then thinking, if I was though, this is probably what it would feel like. <laughs> this, this probably it. And sure enough. Um, and they were able to extubate me a week and keep me awake and calm for the additional 24 hours that my body still needed to be on event, And to say that they were able to do that is nothing short of a miracle based on my past experiences coming off of those drugs. is I mean, they couldn't even keep me still when I wasn't on a ventilator the other two times, let alone to keep me still enough and peaceful. And I'm like, and because it was only 48 hours, I didn't have muscle atrophy. It was much faster. I was able to move. Um, we are so thankful that this baby has continued to live and grow and is on track. We're watching it very closely. Um, and just rejoicing that like, once again, it seems like God has just a hand of protection over my babies. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I thought I was in a really good place at the point that I got pregnant this time. And to know that this was the journey that was going to unfold with this pregnancy. Um, I don't, I don't know that you could have told me that at the beginning. Um, but God has continued to just be faithful and kind and generous and merciful and again just the gift of his presence is enough and that's yeah. what what's what's interesting and hard to balance sometimes when I share my story or even just talking to people in life is that the the gift he's given me is him not the life and life and life and life. Yeah. I am so, so thankful that he has preserved my life, that he's given me a marriage and a family and babies to raise and a home and and I'm so thankful for that. But that has not been the easier option. And I will say that my life has often brought me to points where I've thought like, why am I still alive? Why I would so much rather be in the arms of the father right now, free of all of this, as much as it like even kind of breaks my heart to say that, that is the reality of some of these scenarios. So it is the beauty of seeing miracles happen, but you never want to need a miracle to begin with. It doesn't, miracles don't happen out of whole places. They happen out of really, really broken, devastating places. And so, yes, I do have these amazing stories of how God has moved in massive ways. Would I wish that I get, needed to keep having them? No, no, I don't. I'm yeah. like a very boring life. You're yeah. on out, From From here on out. Like, I just want to be boring. No boring
0: more life. miracles.
1: No more, no more. I've had my fill. We're, we've checked that box. Um, but the gift He's given me has not been—I mean, it has been the preservation of life, but what? what reigns over that so much greater is just knowing his kindness and his love and being near to him. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that for anything. And I pray and pray and pray that I can pass that down to my kids and to my family. And that if anything makes it worth it, it would be that others would know and see that that presence exists. Even if that mean even if they don't experience it in an ICU room the way I have even if they don't have interactions in their life that lead them to that utter broken, desperate place, if they can know he is there, very, really, really there, yeah, um, that will be worth it. Amen. Oh my gosh. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for putting up with my rambling. Let's no, give you my thank heartache.
0: you for sharing that
1: and being so vulnerable and
0: you know, opening up about the the darkness you walked through yeah. because people out there are in that place too yeah. and need that hope and that reminder of the story's not over. You will get through it. Even when yeah. you don't feel the presence of the Lord, He is still with you.
1: Yeah. yeah. And
0: everything you shared is so powerful. And I'm so mm-hmm. thankful that you are still here with us and Me able too. to share this story and that Aww. God is not done with your life on earth. Yeah. Um and that it's Christmas. It is Christmas. And that best. Jesus came so that we could have that hope and experience yeah. his presence and walk in freedom. Yeah. So we only have a few minutes left. Yeah. Um so what are and we'll put all the details of everything you yeah. share um in the show notes. Okay. But Maybe as kind of our outro, let's leave with some Christmas cheer. Um, Maybe a few favorite holiday
1: recipes that people could try um, or just some holiday favorites. Yeah, yeah. Okay, awesome. So I do think I'm I'm kind of a Christmas freak and I always have been. And I do (laughs) legitimately think it's because I am so excited for Grace to come back. I am so excited that he came and I'm so excited for him to come back. And that sounds so goody-two-shoes Christian-y, but I really do think If you want to live the Christmas season to the most, let yourself dwell on what it means. And let yourself, when you're driving in the car and the radio is playing a Christmas song, think about the lyrics. Don't just sing along or listen or tune it out. Spend your time, like think about it. Think about what they're saying. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. The simple lyrics that you've heard time and time again can hit you in a really different way. And I really think that things like that, directing your heart towards what matters throughout the Christmas season is what makes this so magical. <laughs> and it, it can really take away a lot of the, I hear people say like, you know, it's just so easy to get distracted by the gifts and the consumerism and all of the, you know, the things and the Santa and the Hallmark movies. And I'm like, I just think like literally when is the world more focused on Christ coming than at Christmas time. So as Christians, maximize that and take every advantage that we can to direct our hearts to what it is we're celebrating. So a few Christmas favorites. These are a very different um, vibe than the whole conversation. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. We're ending with some cheer. Ending with some cheer. Okay. So I would say I collect a couple new things every year to add to my like Christmas stash. The percentage of the storage in my house that's dedicated to Christmas is probably like an obs- obscene ratio. But it might be like one year I bought Garland and then the next year I bought like another string of Garland. So I'm not like crazy dumping all my money into all my decor every year. But each year I just look for like one new piece that then I can pull out. So if you're watching the video, these are my, these are some of my Christmas dishware. Yes. Okay. So I got these little like glass mug or glass cups that have Christmas trees on it. A set of mug. Actually, girlfriend gave me this one. I've got another one right here. My sister bought me this one. People know I want the Christmas (laughs) bunks. And swapping over my dishes as soon as it gets to be like Thanksgiving time, every time I pull this out to drink a glass of water, it makes me happy. And you know what? Dan, who is not as crazy about Christmas as me, he loves Christmas, but you know, I take it to a different level. Yeah. Yeah. He said last night, these cups make me happy every time I drink out of them. And I was like, you see? And they were six bucks at a thrift store. I got like a set of eight of them. Um, so I would say just being mindful of taking things to the next step. So yeah. rather than just like making your cup of tea before bed, or maybe you don't even make a cup of tea. Maybe you're like for the month of December, I'm going to make a cup of tea before bed. And I'm going to turn on my Christmas lights and turn on a little music and make it a special little moment. I think just yeah. have a bit of intentionality Do you see that? I can't stop smiling. (laughs) (laughs) Think about it. Because those are all of the little things that time is so fleeting. And if we want to really like maximize this season, just like think about it a little bit extra. Can you light candles at dinner? Can you, you know, maybe you have a couple recipes that you pull out. I actually don't have a lot of like Christmas specific recipes, but one is that we make Kringla, which is a Norwegian cookie I'm not even that Norwegian, but that is the tradition that's been handed down from my, like, great, great, great grandma's recipe. And they're just little, like, bread cookies. You eat them warm with a little butter. They're not the, like, you picture the Trader Joe's, like, Danish kringla. This is a Norwegian cookie. It's a little different. And I make those every year. And I swear the smell of buttermilk, I'm, like, instantly transported to Christmas because I make the kringla. (laughs) And it's not even that special of a recipe, but just having some traditions that you kind of pull to. Um, and then I would say the other favorite that I wanted to throw out, okay, I would say having a red lipstick you love. So I have I have one here. This is the Super Stay Matte Ink by Maybelline. Because okay. I'm still a blogger at the end of the day. I can't yeah. not think a product. <laughs> um, and this is the color Pioneer. And this is, I would say, my like beginner red lipstick. If you don't normally wear red lipstick. This will not rub off on your food. It will not rub off on your drink. This is the safe if you want a festive, cheap option. So that's what I, will send you this. You can link it. Yes. <laughs>
0: and I need one. I'm watching this
1: video. I'm like, oh, my face looks so, pay- like my lips are so
0: non-existent.
1: <laughs> I always think that. I'm like, where's my, where are my lips? Where'd they go? Maybe I just have worn so much red lipstick that now I think anything not red is <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Uh, um. Okay. And then I love um liturgies all year, but I would say especially around the Advent season, I love Advent liturgies. So I would say one. Um, making an intentional distinction between Christmas time in what you're studying. So um you can read through the gospels or just really focus in on a couple chapters of Luke leading up to Christmas or things like um, She Reads Truth usually has a devotional throughout Advent, which is great. There are different books. Just setting aside, doing something a little bit different in this season that's going to center your heart on what what we're Mm. celebrating. Um, My favorite is um, the Church of England Book of Common Worship. Um, I'm not Anglican, but this has been such a a blessing. My sister Allie got me started on this. And this is actually, I stole her copy like, I don't know, four years ago. And I'm just, she's never getting it back. Um, But they have liturgies for different seasons. So I use this as a prayer tool throughout the year, but it really shines in Advent and in Lent. Um, In particular and leading up to Easter, the Christmas and so Advent is a season, but then Christmas time is also a season starting from Christmas on until Epiphany. Um, and there is a prayer for morning and a prayer for evening. Um, and I usually read the prayer for morning just myself. And then what we're doing this year is reading the part of the evening prayer. It's a little bit long for our two-year-old to like wait on starting her food until we're through prayer. (laughs) So we do a portion of the evening prayer before dinner. Um, and that's been a really great thing for us to be able to do together and kind of as a family and start that tradition of setting aside. Advent season is different um, and we are celebrating not just Christmas and gifts and, and giving Mm -hmm. and snow, which we are all of those things too, but we're celebrating that he has come and we're celebrating that he is coming again. Mm -hmm. Um, And that anticipation, I just, my husband and I were talking about this one day, looking at Christmas tree ornaments in like July and like a gift shop somewhere. And, and he was asking me things I, why I love Christmas so much. And I said, like, there is nothing better than that feeling of anticipation because, because that's where we are at. We are in a season of anticipation awaiting the arrival of our King, just like Mary was in the advent. Yeah. I understand it was not in December, but many years ago, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and so let's embrace it. Let's. Let's claim every bit of that anticipation and excitement and building um that joy as we can. So those are yes. some of my favorites.
0: Amen. Katie, this has been so delightful. Thank you so much for being on today and everyone listening out there. Merry Christmas. Yes. We hope Merry you just Christmas. rest in the peace of and joy of Jesus.
1: Yeah. This season. Yeah. And the joy is that you can rest in that whether or not you have a joyful and peaceful
0: season because it's about him at the end of the
1: day. Amen.
0: Well, everybody have a great Christmas and we will see you um, next on December 28th. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you'd help spread the word. Check back here for new episodes dropping every other Thursday. You can follow along on social media at Collected Ministries.